0: Hi, welcome. I'm Alice Ginsberg, and I'm very happy to welcome you to the latest episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast series, sponsored by the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity and Justice at Rutgers University. I will be your host for this podcast. I am a senior research specialist at the Proctor Institute, which also houses the Center for Minority Serving Institutions. So we have had the pleasure of partnering with Jobs for the Future, also referred to as JFF, for the last year, looking closely at registered apprenticeship at MSIs and how MSIs can benefit from these programs. Just a little bit about Jobs for the Future. It's a national nonprofit that drives transformation of the U.S. education and workforce systems to achieve equitable economic advancement for all. And JFF has put together a national innovation hub for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in registered apprenticeship. And today we are very grateful to be talking with Ginger Allison, who is a director at JFF working with the Center for Apprenticeship and Workforce-Based Learning. She provides technical assistance to employers, educational institutions, and other stakeholders to help them develop strategies for recruiting and retaining a qualified workforce. She also focuses on promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility in apprenticeship. So Ginger, welcome so much. Um, so glad to have you. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Wonderful. Okay, so let's get started. So can you tell us a little bit about Um, the registered apprenticeship model, specifically, you know, what makes it unique and advantageous for institutions of higher education, um, for students and for employers.
1: Sure. I'd love to. Um, I love registered apprenticeship. It is um, one of my favorite post-secondary pathway models um, due to the the benefits that it allows for everybody, really. So registered apprenticeship is an earn and learn model. Um, It's a paid post-secondary pathway. Apprentices participate in at least 2000 hours of on the job learning and 144 hours per year of supplemental education. Um, That was formerly referred to as related technical instruction for those of you who are familiar with, with registered apprenticeship. Um, That could either be classroom um, where students are physically sitting in a classroom, completing their theoretical education. It could be online. It can be provided in-house by an employer or um, a community-based organization or um, an intermediary organization, or it could be higher education or career and technical education. Um, And it always leads to a nationally recognized industry credential. Um, They're typically one to seven years in length. Um, the industries which they, um, have traditionally operated in are construction and skilled trades, but that has expanded in the last few years to information technology, communications, transportation and logistics, energy, banking and finance, advanced manufacturing, healthcare, sales and marketing, hospitality, business and management, so on and so forth. Just about anything that you can imagine is probably a way to be an apprenticeable occupation. Um, and they also provide benefits, as I said before, to the entire community. So benefits for higher education institutions um, are really going to be retention, completion, completion, and positive placement. Um, students, um, as we, those of us who are educators, as we know, students will be more engaged if they can apply what they're learning to hands-on experience. Um, they will be more motivated if they are engaging with the, um, the applicable. Um, skills for for that for that education. So if they're actually using what they're what they're learning out in the field, whatever that field may be, um, and most importantly, if they're being compensated for it, you know, we're we're all more motivated whenever we feel valued and we're compensated for our work. Um, so the students themselves—that's where we're going to find, I think, really the. What I think is the most benefit, um, and that is that, one, they're getting paid to, to learn to earn their post-secondary credential. Um, the opportunity is also there for them to earn stackable credentials. So if we think about some of those, um, even within the construction or skilled trade or, or healthcare, we start looking at some of those so they can earn an OSHA certification. Say a little bit more about stackable credentials, what those are. Sure, sure, absolutely. So stackable credentials are really those that are um, certifications. So multiple certifications that somebody can earn Mm -hmm. while they are reaching this culmination of um, the end of their program with a, a larger certification or degree. So it could be an OSHA, an OSHA 10 certification for for safety. Um, it could be a CNA, or then an LPN, or um, phlebotomy. There in between, just a series of credentials that can really lead up to um, m- what I think is making somebody more marketable out there in the in the workforce. Um, And then also that can also culminate in a decreed um, apprenticeship as well, which I think is what we would really start looking at here with the minority serving institutions and some of those higher ed is that um, the it could end in first their national credential with the Department of Labor, which is the industry recognized credential or and the, the, the degree within that as well. So um, there are some programs that are specifically like within the IT or the healthcare industry where they are receiving a computer science degree, whether that be an associate's or, or uh, bachelor's, um, as well as those CompTIA certifications and um, um, cybersecurity certifications, anything really kind of building up to that as those little micro-credentials. It also allows these, the, the students the competitive advantage. So um, as, as we've probably all experienced when we finish degree or we finish a post-secondary pathway, we go to start applying for jobs. And there, uh, along with the, the degree that's listed in those um, qualifications, is also a um, number of years of experience, right? And so there's always that um, day-old question of how do, how do I gain experience if I can't get that first job? Well, the competitive advantage for the students in an apprenticeship program is that they have it. They have their degree and they have those those years of experience as that has been part of their program all along. Um, there's also the ability to earn higher wages. The average completion wage for an apprentice is $70,000 a year. Um, that is just right out the gate. Um, research has also found that former apprentices in the are in the position of earning around 200 to 300,000 more than their peers throughout the entirety of their career. So by the time they've retired, they've earned that much more than their peers just due to the fact that they've completed this registered apprenticeship program. Also, there's minimal debt. So several of us have, you know, finished degrees. And um, not only can we not find a job, not to say there's anything wrong with higher education, I'm all for it. But Many programs that are registered apprenticeship programs, because that employer is involved, they help to offset that cost. So those students don't have to take out those student loans and they they are not left with um, trying to find a job without having any experience. Also, there's the mentorship component. So. Each apprentice is paired with a mentor who is a veteran within that occupation. We call those um, journey workers. And we would like to see what I like to see in an apprenticeship program is somebody who has been around for a long time. They are a veteran. They are actually approaching the age of retirement. They are there to teach that apprenticeship, that apprentice, everything that they have learned over the entirety of their career. So there's targeted support that mentor is always available to answer the questions of the apprentice, show them how to perform a skill and help them perfect those techniques.
0: I just wanted to say two things that you just mentioned. I mean, first of all, not going into further debt, students at minority serving institutions tend to be first generation, low income students. So that's huge. The other thing is that minority serving institutions really do place a high value on mentorship. So there's, I can see a lot of alignment and connection here.
1: Absolutely. There's so much opportunity. Um, And then The the final benefit that I'll talk about is for the employers. So on average, employers realize a rate of uh, a return on investment of about $1.47 to every dollar invested in registered apprenticeship. Additionally, for the entire community, for every dollar invested in apprenticeship leads to a public return of approximately $28 in benefits to the community. Um, There's specific tools. Um, offered from the Department of Commerce that folks can look at their um, local area to find out what the return on investment for their community is for registered apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. That's at the the National Department of Commerce. Um, Another benefit for employers is increased retention. Studies have found that over 90% of people who complete apprenticeship programs remain employed with that employer. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, there's a customized training. As uh, a manager myself and as somebody who has onboarded employees, Mm -hmm. I love to have somebody who didn't already hadn't um, developed what I call bad habits, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, shortcuts or or ways to cut corners. I could really train them and shape them into the employee that I needed for my organization. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that um, that registered apprenticeship offers to employers is that customized training. There is a 25% differential that is allowed in from the, the industry recognized um, competencies that the Department of Labor has developed that employers can um can adjust and customize up to 25%. Mm-hmm. So that really allows for more customized, and that's really just to take out any more can be added on. <laughs> any more can be added on to an occupation. Um, and then also it fills that skills gap. As I mentioned before, when discussing mentorship, we have a large amount of employees who will be retiring over the next five to 10 years. Um And so as those employees retire, the organization needs to find a stable and reliable pipeline of qualified personnel to bring back in to fill that skills gap. And so apprenticeship really allows employers the opportunity to build that skilled line of succession as they start to see some of those um, um, employees retire. And it really allows them the opportunity to transfer that knowledge that they have gained over the last you know, thirty to forty years throughout their career to somebody new coming in. So it, it it really is, and I will just say it is not if an employer is looking for you know a uh, uh, on the dime turnaround of a solution. This might not be it because it is a long game. You know, there is um, the opportunity for um, a, a the, the apprentices. Like I said, it is a one to seven year training program. And so due to that, and due to the amount of knowledge transfer that's necessary from the mentors to the journey workers to the apprentices, it does take some time. And it will take a little bit of time for that return on investment as well. But all that to say that it is the gold standard of training programs available out there to employers looking to fill that
0: yeah. And when you talk about the benefits to the community, I think that's something that we often don't think about. We think about the, the student and the employer, but minority serving institutions serve their communities. And most of the students that go there are from that community and want to stay in that community. And in our landscape analysis, we found that a lot of the registered apprenticeship programs at minority serving institutions, were looking to fill a gap in the community. Like we don't have enough social workers, we don't have enough teachers, those kinds of things. So it, it's, again, very much aligned with, with what minority serving institutions are trying to do.
1: Exactly. And as those apprentices are, um, are completing their, their programs, and they are advancing economically, then they are also able to put that back into the community um, and advance the economic health of the entire community of the local area and of the state. Thank you, that was such a great explanation. Um, So how can our registered apprenticeship
0: program support underserved students, especially those from first-generation, low-income backgrounds, or students who are returning to school at, at an older age? And we've talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on this.
1: So, as um, federally recognized programs, registered apprenticeships offer, there are support services available through the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, um, uh, form, uh, I guess informally known as WIOA, um, and through the local workforce development boards and American Job Centers, there are also benefits that are available through the Department of Re- Rehabilitation Services um, and the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, as well as program funding that is available for wraparound services that are that is available through the Department of Labor, um, multiple intermediary organizations, um, JFF some has some projects that offers incentive funding to employers or intermediaries um as well. So there is support services and resources out there and I think that especially students who are um typically underserved or coming from first generation or low income backgrounds um that they are um well and and those returning to school at an older age specifically those who are veterans that are transitioning back into civilian life there are programs available um, for registered apprenticeship to help them with those, um, with those additional costs, including um, any of those wraparound services. So some could be childcare, um, uh, subsidization, there is also, help with any equipment that they might need to buy, any PPE or any tools. So there is funding available to support those specifically because they are federally registered programs. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's wonderful, thank you.
0: Um,
1: So if an MSI wanted
0: to partner with a local employer to set up a registered apprenticeship program, what
1: would be the first steps that they would do? So we, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier and that is just to scan the local landscape. Um, take a look at the the local um, labor market information. Um, take a look at what is, what, you're going to take a look at the local um, labor market information to identify um, occupations and industries where, that are in high growth or that have a huge need. So right now, there's been a lot of buzz about the care economy, teacher shortages, I think that that's pretty prevalent across the entire country, especially as we're coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic um, and really filling some of that Um, logistics and transportation is another huge area that um, really took a hit during COVID-19. So I would, like I said, so that labor market information should be available to anyone from their state um, workforce development office or lo- local department of commerce. They can help to identify that. And then once they have really identified industries um, and um, occupation occupations that are in high growth mode or high need mode, then take a look at what is happening in registered apprenticeship in your area. So, there is something, somebody is doing something in your area that has to do with registered apprenticeship and find out what that is. The Workforce Development Board, community based organizations, intermediaries. Um, somebody is doing something. So it's always a good idea to see if there's opportunity to partner or opportunity to help to complement what somebody else is doing. So if somebody else is doing a teacher apprenticeship, maybe they need to look at what um, is happening with school counselors as, as that's kind of complement. That's the other side of the coin with the education um. Field right now is that while we also have a teacher shortage, we're also losing some school counselors as well. So there's always opportunity to collaborate and complement what somebody else is doing. Um, Then the next step is really to start convening those local partners, identifying and convening local partners. You want to bring in someone from your workforce development board. Um, Again, like I said, because there are wraparound services available in most workforce development offices, whether that's at the state level or at the local level. they have staff to help assist with um, registered apprenticeship. Um, then you're also going to want to bring in, well, you're going to want to bring in intermediaries, anyone who can really start to help lift some of that administrative burden, um, the community based organizations in order to provide some of those wraparound services. Mm-hmm. While I mentioned what's available federally, there are Several every just about every community is going to have a community based organization that will offer some sort of wraparound service to folks who are either entering the workforce for the first time or returning to the workforce, um, specifically those who might be reentering from um, the um active military or even some of those who might be re-entering society from um, a justice-involved situation, there there should be a community-based organization available to help with that. So you want to have those folks in from the very beginning as well. You also want to bring to your education partners. So um, for you all, that would probably be you as a minority-serving institution, right? So you want to have them at the table. But most importantly, well I missed somebody. Also, you want to bring in your state apprenticeship office. And so that's going to be different than your workforce development office. So your workforce development office is going to be the um, administrator of those WIOA funds, the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act that provides some of that. Um, they some offices and some states have elected to provide some um, incentive funding and wraparound services. Um, But you're also going to want to bring in your apprenticeship office. So some states are state apprenticeship agency states where apprenticeship is um, has been sanctioned by the Department of Labor federally, but that is managed locally at the state level. Um, And then some states have chosen to be um, managed at the state level from the federal office of apprenticeship either way dependent whichever state type of state that you're in you're going to want to bring in that office because they're to, there to help as well and also that's who you're going to be working with to turn in those apprenticeship standards your state director there's also apprenticeship training represent, representatives for the local offices as well those are going to be your folks but most importantly you need to have employers at the table so Apprenticeship is employer-driven. That's why I wanted to kind of leave that for the last part. So all these other partners you want to have at the table, but you need to have employers there. It's apprenticeship is, it comes from the employer. The employer needs to sign off on the competencies. They're the ones who are going to be able to tell you um, what that apprentice needs to learn in order to be competent and skilled within that occupation.
0: I did want to go back to something that you said about partnering with other institutions that have registered apprenticeship programs. Again, in our landscape analysis, we found some of those partnerships, especially in, say, the California state school system where they're already working together. And that's a way of uh, increasing the number of registered apprenticeships that students have access to. Um, I do want to say that you know bringing in the state level it sounds a little bit complicated, um, and I'm wondering if you can talk about what resources JFF can can give to schools that want to
1: start this. We provide about three different tiers in general of technical assistance. Um, one is the first is resources and tools. So um, we have a program design framework that's available. Um, We have online courses that are available, all completely free to to the public. Anyone who needs to use them, they're there and available. Um, The online courses, there are um, mentorship. There is um, developing those EEO plans for the registered apprenticeship. um, And then also webinars as well. Then group technical assistance. So that is um, just that can be customized. It can be pretty standard. Just over the program design framework, or it could be you know a a step by step um, how to. However, it is that um, that that group technical assistance, but it's just a group of folks. So sometimes that's reserved for um, unions. You want to bring in the reunions, or if it's a um, a group sponsorship type of registered apprenticeship where there's multiple employers and we can bring them all together. Um, but basically that's kind of what that means. Just it's, 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 technical assistance in a group level. And then there's that individualized technical assistance. So we can offer business needs assessment, evaluation, program design. Um, and then um, some of our programs within the center for apprenticeship and work-based learning also provide that registration support and incentive funding. So we can help to connect with the local folks. Um, so the, working with the people at the state level is something that's going to have to be necessary in order to register uh, an apprenticeship program. It's just a matter of knowing who that is and how to reach out to them. So we are also here and available to help with that as well. That's great.
0: And what about, are there other resources? I know registered apprenticeship is becoming more and more popular and well-known. Are there
1: other organizations that people could reach out to? Like I said, I would I would look locally and find out, you know, who is already um, working in the registered apprenticeship space and um, have that look into the workforce development boards. Um, and then that's for the most part going to be local, you know, find out, find out who, who's doing it. Who's, who's the, who's who in your area in registered apprenticeship is what you, um, should really keep an eye out for. But there are several other organizations just like JFF that are intermediary organizations out there. Um, it just, it, you know, there, there is a lot happening in registered apprenticeship right now. So I think that, um, finding any of those resources, um, or, or looking into who might be, and then also just the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor in general is a great apprenticeship.gov is an amazing resource. That is the um, the site that's run by the Department of Labor. All of your um, work, all of the occupation competencies, so the the work process schedule, which lists out the on the job learning competencies that have been identified by industry at the federal level and by the department of labor those are all listed in boilerplate templates on apprenticeship.gov there's also other resources <coughs> excuse me within apprenticeship.gov that offer, there's a partner finder that can um, help to find partners, uh, those that I listed that you want to have at the table. Apprenticeship.gov has a resource to help you identify who those need to be. So it, it can go even further than just a quick Google on your own to have some that Department of Labor is specifically pointing to saying, this is who you need to talk to in your area that is doing this work. So it
0: sounds like if someone has a, a question or hits a roadblock, apprenticeship.gov is a good place to go. Are there sort of live people that you can talk
1: to as well? Um, that's whenever I would really start looking at your local apprenticeship training um, representatives, and um, also your, the the local um, um, depart either the office of apprenticeship in in your state or the state apprenticeship mm-hmm. agency.
0: Okay. Great. So, um, in conclusion, can you tell us about the National Innovation Hub for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and Accessibility in Registered Apprenticeship? Um, you know, what are you, what have you accomplished? Why is this important, and what are the next steps? Um, and how how can MSIs benefit from this?
1: Sure. So um, JFF's National Innovation Hub for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion and Accessibility and Registered Apprenticeship. We are a national technical assistance center that is funded by the Department of Labor. So basically, the Department of Labor has set us out and set us up to provide technical assistance to anyone who needs help in this area. we have partnered with the Center for Minority Serving Institutions at Rutgers um, and the Institute for Community Inclusion at the University of Massachusetts, um, Apprentice School in Newport News, Intelligent Partnerships, Unidos US, 110, the Chicago Women in Trades. Donna Lenhoff & Associates and Apprenticeship Carolina, all to provide technical assistance to registered apprenticeship programs and um, in order to increase diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in registered apprenticeship. However, there are other programs within JFF that provides that um, one-on-one, we can provide one-on-one technical assistance. Um, for program design, but we also have other programs within the Center for Apprenticeship and Work-Based Learning at Jobs for the Future that provides that registration support as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. And what what are you hoping you know to accomplish at the end of this?
1: So, at the so we've I'll kind of just lay out a little bit of the problem um, first. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have found is important and why there needs to be change in this area. We have found, and I think everyone has found, that registered apprenticeship has been historically, um, it's an opportunity that's been historically reserved um, for white men. Um, 80% of apprentices um, are white. Um, Women only make up of about 13% of registered apprentices. Um, That's been... As we discussed earlier, the apprenticeship has been in the construction and skilled trades area, but as it's begun to expand to others, um, then, well, even just within the occupational segregation, just within the skilled trades and construction um, is, is, is still an issue. However, um, as it begins to expand to other occupations, and especially those who are specifically high wage, we need to um, change the, the direction, change the trajectory of registered apprenticeship, um, that it is not only just available to somebody as a who you know opportunity, um, a generational opportunity. So what's happened in the past is that, you know, my my uncle is, is a plumber within this company and has brought me on to be his apprentice, right? And so rather rather than it being a who you know, we need it to be an opportunity that is available to anybody. And so that's really, that's our end goal is just to really advance the opportunity so that it is an opportunity for everybody and that it leads to that economic advancement for all.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? we know that in the msis that we have spoken with that they are benefiting very much from registered apprenticeship as are their communities um is there anything else you'd like to
1: add i think that sometimes there is the perceived um or the perception that um that it is going to be a really heavy lift that it's going to be too much to handle or that it's going to be too much of an administrative burden however writing the standards itself is fairly simple. Um, the the It's boilerplate templates that are available. Um, the resources are there. I find that some folks generally get um, hung up on the related technical instruction, that supplemental education part of it, especially if they're coming from a workforce development um, side or the employer side and they don't know. However, I typically just I love higher education or career tech education for this because it's outlined in the program of study. You just really need to list out what the courses are within the program of study. It's very, it's it's actually writing the standards itself is not a heavy lift at all. However, um, finding those partnerships and um, identifying those and really start to um, implement some of those um, program design Elements that we recommend within the framework, that's where we can really begin to be really helpful and be a resource so that you're not just um, launching a program to launch a program, but you're launching a program to be successful and sustainable, um, and that will provide a really robust pipeline of skilled employees. That's wonderful.
0: Well, on the Center for MSI's website, we do have a report on registered apprenticeship at MSI's. And although we do not offer technical assistance, um, if there are MSI's out there that want to start a registered apprenticeship program, um, you know, we can certainly put you in touch with other MSI's that have been successful. And of course, um, introduce you to JFF and their innovation hub. So in any case, um, I wanted to thank you so much, Ginger, for being here today. And I know that I've learned a lot and I hope that um, other people will consider registered apprenticeship. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.